This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode, putting Chris into Christmas. Aim for as good as you can go. Don't limit yourself. But if you wait until all the stars align, then I think you'll be waiting a long time. How do you hide a secret? Well, you write it in a book. I hear that actually even Santa's going through windows this year. Hello, welcome to our last podcast of 2020. I'm Andrew McElhinney, a GP and member of the Scottish National Users Group. Please visit our website, snughealth.org, for more information about what we do. But hopefully, if you've got this far, you will have worked out that we're based in Scotland, interested in information technology, information systems, and also in delivering high-quality healthcare. Now, I wonder how we would have felt at the end of last year if we'd had a crystal ball and been able to see what 2020 was going to be like. Come in, take seat. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm a bit nervous. I've actually never, never done anything like this before. So, you would, um, you would like to know the future? Uh, yeah, of course. That's why I'm here. That's why I've paid. Are you sure? I'm absolutely certain. So, this is very serious. I will look into my crystal ball, and I will tell you your future. All right, crystal ball, please. Show me. Tell me. Show me the future. There's a link to that video in the podcast notes, and it's worth a watch. Today, we reflect on 2020 with Dr Chris Weatherburn, who is a recent speaker at our virtual conference, which we reviewed last time. Please do listen to all he has to say about how we can find hope and inspiration, even in the midst of lockdowns and restrictions, as we all prepare to celebrate Christmas and New Year. Chris is the acting chair of SKIMP, which stands for Scottish Clinical Information in Practice, and is very much a close relative of SNUG. And I think this was a great conversation. We tried to process some of the year's events, discuss how they've made us feel, and also think about how we can remain positive and even find inspiration. We'll get on to some New Year's resolutions and some good ideas for some good books to read or maybe to listen to. Chris, it's a great pleasure to have you join us for our Christmas episode. Thank you, Andrew. And I've got my Christmas jumper on. Of course, dressed for Microsoft Teams, so I've got no trousers on either. (laughs) Well, you're looking suitably resplendent and Christmassy. Uh, And you're you're speaking to us from Dundee, isn't that right? Uh, Yes, work as a portfolio GP in Dundee, Tayside. It's a great place to live and work if anybody's interested. Well, it's amazing how many of the GPs I seem to have spoken to this year who who are based in Dundee. It seems to be a very influential place. I suppose Scotland's relatively small. Dundee's large in Scotland. Uh, But it is a nice place. And certainly, Andrew, if you ever fancy a visit, get in touch. Thank you very much indeed. Now, I'm going to ask you in a minute, Chris, for your reflections on what's been a fairly momentous and and challenging year for all of us. Um, But I thought it might be interesting just to start with a little bit about, you know, yourself. And can you tell us a bit about, you know, your current life and circumstances and how you got there? 
well, went to medical school back in 1999, now started that, um, finished, was very pleased to have achieved my only goal at the time, which was to become a doctor. And then I had to think, what do I want to do further? I, so, I mean, out with work, I enjoy lots of things, um, and I've also got two children, but within work, I went to did some hospital medicine, which I found was excellent, worked in New Zealand, did some locum work, came back and was fortunate enough to obtain a training scheme fairly locally in general practice in Angus and really loved it. I think one of the difficulties is if you like so many things that you do, it's hard to then subspecialize in something. So general practice is and was ideal for me, provides a lot of variety and numerous opportunities. So I then developed an interest in clinical informatics after doing, uh, I think it was two post-CCT certificate of completion of training fellowships in firstly health inequalities, then academic medicine, and joined SKIMP and have been um, extremely grateful to the mentorship uh, that I have received through that working group. And this has led to numerous opportunities to meet fascinating people like yourself. SKIMP worked very closely with SNUG. Yes, well, it's interesting. I, on these podcasts, I try and uh, explain to people what SNUG uh, is all about. And I, I always try and simplify it to say that it's about using technology for people in GP practices in Scotland to help them deliver healthcare in a better way. And I wonder what you would say SKIMP does. So, in a way, you could put an argument for merging SKIMP and SNUG. Although I'm not going to be suggesting that today. What I'd say is that the snug involves users and tries to get them on board and get their expert end-user input. Skimp is slightly different in that we're providing often behind-the-scenes terminology advice to lots of high-level projects. Um, so some projects, such as the Change Advisory Board, have strong skimp and snug representation. But um, what the listeners may or may not know is there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes there with a request for change that may come in, which is well intended, but we always have to think about potentially unintended consequences. And so often a clinical safety case may need to be assessed. As SKIMP members most of them have done clinical safety officer training and quite often would then provide expert input into a project, hopefully at the right time. Because if a project has, from the start, sought good advice from many organizations, it will often be successful. So I would say that SKIMP is similar to SNUG but does a lot more behind-the-scenes work. Yes, in some ways, Skimp is like Snug's smarter older brother. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that, but um, I'm sure Neil will be delighted to hear, as will David. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wonder how many GPs associate Skimp with read codes. 
Well, absolutely. Uh, Skimp has provided what I would say is the best advice about read codes, how to enter data, often how to summarize patient records. It's all, a lot of this is available through the Skimp website, uh, which I would urge people to look at. We've started to put up most of the questions and answers that we provide. A lot of these are about read codes. Uh, read is obviously a clinical terminology that has now been depreciated, so it's no longer being updated. The intention is to phase in SNOMED CT into primary care. Uh, so behind the scenes in your uh, computer, whether it be Vision or EMIS, the two current systems, a lot of data is dual-coded. Now, people often ask me, why should you code data? And I think that other than helping you as a user and your patient, uh, it can actually really, it will help more and more in future because of decision support. So, for example, if there is properly structured coded data in an electronic health record, then decision support will be able to detect patterns, for example, and prompt the clinician to hopefully provide the best possible care to that person in that circumstance. Without properly structured coded data, this would not be possible. So the pure free text things has its limitations, let's just say. Yeah, and um, I suppose one of the things that... I remember Neil commenting on recently when I was speaking to him is how a lot of the GPs who are, let's say, actively involved in, in IT from a, a snug point of view, certainly, we're all getting a little bit close to Jurassic Park at this stage. Um, and you seem positively youthful by comparison, uh, which is great. I just wonder how we can encourage and maybe inspire a younger generation of GPs to get involved in IT? Absolutely. Well, from my point of view, you all look very youthful and are positive and inspirational. However, I think that the younger generation, and by that I mean the people who are just graduating, and so perhaps early 20s, a lot of them are actually very enthusiastic about IT. I think that in the past, with GPASS, this um, GP software system that I think was developed by a GP. I never actually used it, but the people who were involved with implementing that very much so were a, a niche group that perhaps Skimp and Snug have grown out of. So I think that providing people with opportunities to get involved I'm, I'm sure that um, Snug, for example, would like to hear from people who are keen to get involved, and certainly Skimp would as well. Absolutely. I, I guess one issue might be that a lot of the younger GPs these days are maybe female, and I wonder if IT is still seen as a bit of a, of a nerdy sort of male uh, bastion to some extent. Uh, well... Uh... I don't think so. I think we should challenge these preconceptions. Yeah. Um, certainly, 
there are some specific groups to encourage women into IET, such as the, the Shuri Network, which also encourages people um, of varying ethnicity into IET and leadership positions in the NHS. Uh, so I would say that the thing that goes, um, that may enhance the attractiveness of IET work is the potential flexibility in that unlike being tied to a clinic and set hours being required, there is a bit more flexibility. However, that does mean that you're often working on emails, perhaps when the kids are in bed in the evening. But I think that happens now to too many people, not just people who are interested in health IT. I think you're right. And um one thing that strikes me about the people that have been really enthusiastic about IT is the crazy hours they can work sometimes and the emails coming in at, you know, midnight and that kind of thing. I wanted to have a look back at 2020 um, from where we are now and, and looking back almost exactly a year ago uh, when the first reports of this new virus were starting to come out of Wuhan. The first death, I think, was still to be announced Um to where we are today with, you know, this global pandemic, uh, 77 million cases, 1.7 million deaths, which is just staggering. Um, I wonder how you would reflect on the year 2020 from your perspective as a GP in Scotland. Thank you. And so I think the main word would just be challenging. I, I think the challenges have been massive. If we think back, as you say, this novel coronavirus appeared and then we heard about it in the news and then suddenly it seemed in March we shifted really to overnight not seeing people face to face and first having to triage remotely everybody. This it was totally new to everybody who works in primary care. Now I think primary care though are adaptable and actually very good. And if that wasn't the case, it would have fallen down back in March. There were lots of meetings, at least in Dundee, and I'm sure Scotland-wide as well, over one particular weekend where it was clear change needed to occur. Locally, in fact, NHS Tayside set up a Zoom call with hundreds of attendees and I think that was an excellent way of keeping everybody up to date so it isn't just hearsay and rumours. Then one has to think about priorities and there's obviously only so many people in a digital directorate. What is the priority at that point? And um, certainly SKIMP, uh, certain SNUG members BMA as well were involved with discussions and we all agreed, which is usually a great thing, we all agreed that it was remote um, access that was the priority at that point because much as we're all uh, keen to get new shiny things such as rolling out video consultations, the key thing was that remote access was required and to give... Um, absolute credit to NHS Tayside's digital directorate and I'm sure other places did the same. 
they did um, set that as a priority and rolled that out, each board having different tactics in terms of ways clinicians can obtain remote access. I think then we have to acknowledge uncertainty, more uncertainty than ever. We've got a new disease with a prognosis that sounded like if in about seven to ten days you're not in intensive care or or died, then you'd be okay. And obviously we've learned about long COVID and the complications that can occur. In addition, things like shielding were going on, an alien concept, and, and GPs were at the cornerstone of providing advice to the most often vulnerable people in, in society there and, and providing support. We also have to acknowledge that healthcare professionals, for the first time I've seen, were actually very anxious about their own health. Dealing with a cough used to be a, a really quite a straightforward consultation. Could listen to the chest, eyeball them, perhaps give antibiotics, perhaps arrange spirometry. You know, you'd not wear a mask, um, but instead that wouldn't have been safe for anybody. So there was a lot of work that occurred in Tayside and elsewhere, and SG did also suggest this about setting up COVID assessment centres. Now, you know, the, the thought of assessing somebody who's driven through in a car in, in a small tent uh, and whether or not you listen to their chest is absolutely, if somebody had said that to me a year ago, that's what people would be doing. You wouldn't believe them. If anybody wants some light-hearted entertainment, I'd advise looking at the Michael McIntyre YouTube uh, video in which he's acting out a fortune teller and mentions how people would be saying, stay safe all the time and, and not touching each other and wearing masks. I won't give it away but it's it's brilliant and the difficulty back in march we thought well this will be for a a short time Um, and i thought that was quite interesting how that was managed because it was a couple of weeks review it in a couple of weeks and i thought this is going to be more than a couple of weeks but people can manage the two weeks and then get back to normal but it, it, it has carried on and unfortunately we're in a stage where we've just found out festive plans have been um, changed dramatically and uh, a nationwide lockdowns coming on. And it is clearly going to be a marathon. You could think back about that in March and it was it was quite clear then it was going to be a marathon. But how not just that work, this has affected everybody in different ways and at at their homes, not being able to see friends as normal. Um, And what we've done, though, because of this, the enthusiasm for engaging and uptaking new technology has been dramatic. We saw a huge spike in video consultations, which then plateaued out. Um, But certainly there's been fast-paced change, uh, both um, for us all in practices as individuals seeing and speaking to patients about 
what's been clearly a devastating year for many. And, and it has been hard for, for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think after this sort of initial surge of, of energy and sort of wartime spirit, uh, you could definitely sense fatigue and weariness setting in. And I think I've seen colleagues more stressed than I've ever seen them at times. You know, so resilience and I think having time out and looking after ourselves has never been so important, actually. A hundred percent agree. Um, I think that um, the other difficulty is when there's less opportunity to do other things, the consideration may be to take on more work. Uh, so being good to each other, um, but certainly the days of the public um, banging the pans to support the NHS appear to have gone and workload feels like it's at its absolute peak. Yes, it does feel a bit like that. As an enthusiast and an inspirational person, how do you feel we can best try and support our colleagues uh, moving on from where we are just now? Well, thank you for your kind words. Um, in terms of supporting people one-to-one, it's often just listening to colleagues and making certain that in your particular unit, you're looking after each other. Uh, so clearly, um, communication groups such as WhatsApp, quite useful to keep everybody in the loop. Uh, we had our Christmas Zoom night in. There are other um, platforms available. Um, but I think that in terms of trying to support uh, people as a, on, on a wider basis, um, what we're doing in SKIMP is getting that good information out there to help practices. So, for example, we're soon going to be uploading a, a document titled Practical Consent and Storage Guidance for Primary Care When Receiving Digital Images by Email. Uh, although it's uh, just purely a document, I think that it will be helpful. Um, uh, but certainly no man's an island, and I'd like to give my sincere thanks to um all skimp colleagues, clinical colleagues, the list goes on, um, and obviously snug as well. And we've had our good snug exec meetings that have been very uplifting to morale. Um, and, and just really, I would say, if you're struggling, reach out. LMC as well have put out sincere messages to say if things are are difficult to get in touch, and. On a, on a slightly lighter note, you know, we're all using Teams like we are today. And I wonder um, when, when you know that actually Microsoft has a monopoly, Andrew. I'll, I'll put this in the context. I hear that actually even Santa's going through Windows this year. <laughs> Let, let's, let's think about your own excellent website, uh, which I've, I've come across recently, and, and your newsletters. What, what was your inspiration for, for developing those? Thank you for your kind words. Um, yeah, a few years ago, I discovered audio books um, now, what I found was that well, there's information out there from really people who have often passed away, but true leaders. And there's this old saying about how do you hide a secret? Well, you write it in a book. Now, you and I 
I'm sure neither of us have time to sit down and read a book for several hours a, a, a day, uh, but you're doing things such as driving to patients for home visits, um, mundane housework as well, no doubt. Um, and in that time, you can make it productive by actually listening to an audio book. And you can also then put the audio book on a higher speed, double or triple speed to get through more. And so what, what I had done was, or I'd started to just listen to numerous books about a wide range of, of topics. And I had um, a Facebook group in which I um, a book review group. And I actually got thrown out of somebody else's book review group for um, reviewing a, a Donald Trump book. Um, it wasn't controversial, my review. It's on my current website now. And, and I thought, well, actually, I quite like this. So set up my own Facebook group reviewing books. I'd love it if some other people want to summarize them. I'm not really giving a review as in this is good, this is bad. I'm trying to say this is a book. This, uh, These are the main learning points for me at the time. And then it keeps me also with a, a reference of what books I've actually read, because sometimes you... You go to read a book and then you suddenly realize you've read it before. So I had all this information. I actually um, heard a podcast by a, a very successful junior doctor who is um, also a YouTuber. And he encouraged people to put their own website out and just put things such as books. And I thought, well, I've got 200 odd book reviews I'll get this as a website, something to do that's not my current work, quite relaxing. And um, the other thing I'd just say, which may be interesting to listeners, is that um, there's also the ability, uh, a TTS, text-to-speech, which I've only found recently. Uh, so you can actually really turn any document, such as a PDF or a, a doc doc, into um, an audio book by having it read out for you. So I had that information. I thought, why not? Let's share some knowledge. And um, I'm glad that you've said kind words about it. Thanks. Oh, it's great. And I mean, in this increasingly sort of screen obsessed world we find ourselves in, um, I found myself doing things this year, like trying to make videos and capturing the computer screen and you you gave me a very useful hint uh, and software called OBS for uh, doing that effectively so thank you for that I'm just the same as you learning these things they say with videos that I think if you make a hundred of them the, the first hundred are all not very good and then they improve um, so I'm hoping that's the case I'm probably on about video 10 or so that I've put any effort in Oh, no, they're great. And I mean, my, my sense is that in developing your website and, and, and newsletters, you've been learning a lot yourself. And it's like going on a, a journey of discovery, uh, which is a great way to engage, I think, with work and life and hopefully to inspire people. Indeed, thanks. Um, I think a lot of this is about getting the focus right. So if you take too much on, that's too much demand that will go to burnout, too little would be boredom. Now, I think that general practice as a career, 
and informatics if anybody wants to get involved is a really fascinating balance with constant variety there. Uh, but I, I would also mention the growth mindset that's something I'm trying to adopt myself and I first heard about it through education. One of these parents' days, they had a, a book there and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll read that. So um, listen to that over the next week. And the key is to have a, an attitude in which you're, you're able to think, well, I can't do that yet, but if I actually keep trying, I will be able to and, and put the effort in and that your what you achieve isn't based purely on your natural ability as opposed to the fixed mindset that people think, well, they're naturally good at something, so therefore they're good at it. I think that it is genuine, consistent effort over time that leads to compound improvement. Or if you wanted a buzzword for this year, exponential improvement. Brilliant. I, I mean, I, I think the people I've heard... Oh, I'm getting an echo now, am I? No. Um, the people that I've heard in the past that have uh, inspired me have been perfectionists, but... We don't have to be perfectionists, but I think being enthusiastic and willing to learn, th these are things that we can all benefit from, I think. Absolutely. Um, to me, in the past, it used to be a good thing to say in an interview, what's your um, negative? You've said a lot of positive things. What's your trouble? And it's perfectionism. But I think that that is very much now a trait that it is troublesome. It predisposes to burnout. Also, I think that in life, okay, there's some things that you want to get perfect, but there's lots of things that you've mentioned, for example, videos. Um, you know, what I would do is suggest following Jim Collins' advice, which is to fire bullets, then a cannonball. And by that, try lots of things, aim for satisfactory Certainly, aim for as good as you can go. Don't limit yourself. But if you wait until all the stars align, until you take action, waiting for it to be perfect, then I think you'll be waiting a long time and may have potentially missed opportunities. So completely agree. I think uh, perfectionism is something that we often as, as medical practitioners and I'm sure practice managers as well have to be just slightly mindful of. But I'm sure the challenge for people is to get involved in things and to take a little bit of a risk and, and to stretch themselves. And that's the way to learn and develop. Yeah, um, indeed. I mean, if you can take some action, then what you will find is it will move on to passion. Right? So if you try something, say you go to a dance class and you go in with some enthusiasm, what you may find, uh, there's often a, a kind of graph, a bit, uh, well, an exponential growth graph, but then it plateaus out at the top. So if you can get through the initial difficult hurdles of, of learning, you then suddenly see results. And then it's when you're getting an expert level that in increasing gains take massively more time. But generally, if you can take action, 
certainly try out things. Um, come and uh, contact Alex DeFranco and see about uh, getting in touch with Snug. And I think that what you would find is you may well enjoy it and it'll probably lead to then more opportunities. But it's all due to action. A hundred percent agree, Andrew. Well, that does sound like a suitable point to bring us on to New Year's resolutions. Have you got any thoughts about those? So just a general thought about New Year's resolutions. What you need to do is say, what do you want to do rather than not do? We all know this with habit changes. We want to make the habit we want to achieve easier and the thing we don't want to achieve more difficult. So this could be put in your gym bag in your car. If the gyms would still be open, that's another matter. Leaving fruit out in your kitchen, for example, and hiding your chocolate and perhaps uh, not even purchasing chocolate in the in the first place. Most GPs are very much aware of this. But if you want to get a new thing, like we were saying about taking action, I think what you're wanting to do is break something down into goals, into manageable chunks. Then what you will do, you will find when you've achieved that, the surge of positive endorphins so that then you can then continue to do things. So I think that um, it is about spending your energy on what you actually want rather than what you don't want. And the classic don't think of a pink elephant is an example. Whatever you do, don't think of a pink elephant. Most people then start to think of pink elephants. In fact, at one of the Skimp Snug conferences, I had a great chat with a, a Snug member about uh, New Year's resolutions. And, you know, the usual, well, I'll learn a language, I'll learn a new sport. And, and he said, well, um, the best resolution would be to take my wife out for dinner every month. And I thought, that's very good, but I don't even know what your wife looks like. But in seriousness, that was his resolution and, and he said that that was the best one he'd ever made. And it was to spend time um, and, and dedicate that time. Because with this challenge in balance that we're all facing, I think we need to make sure that we prioritize time for our, ourselves and our family and, and good friends. So, so that's the little bit of New Year's resolution. And delighted to summarize a couple of books if you're, if you're after that. Um, so the first book that I would highly recommend is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Napoleon was genuinely the founder and guru of self-development. And if you look at other books, such as The Secret, for example, they've just been ripped from Napoleon Hill, um, absolutely plagiarized, uh, but only a tiny aspect of his work because it's so great. He mentions the importance of self-confidence, persistence, auto-suggestion, and positive self-talk. That What he refers to is having an internal talisman known as positive mental attitude. Now, a teacher friend of mine was discussing this and said, you know, he thinks positive mental thoughts are so important. This is fantastic. I said... Um, 
you know, that's great where we, we agree positive mental attitude clearly is the thing because the acronym is PMA, not PMT. So I think the other thing is the golden rule. People think about the golden rule of interaction and, and what to do. It's uh, how to interact with people. It's actually what you would do if you were the other person and the positions were switched and how you think they would like to be interacted with at that point. So not just how would you like to be interacted with if you're the other person. Finally, as it's an informatics podcast, uh, a great book I'd recommend everybody reads is The Digital Doctor, Hope, Hype and Harm at the Dawn of Medicine's Computer Age by Robert Wachter. A great balanced view of modern day healthcare and the requirements as to why digital needs to be implemented. Wachter also wrote a review which the NHS Digital Academy came from um, based on his recommendations. Uh, now, Wachter goes into great detail about the arguments and risks and because these um, digital implementations often carry great risks and he really goes into that in detail. And he mentions about how the doctor-patient relationship has been affected by this and, and in addition mentions how in the future it may even be that you would have a robot doing cannulas and uh, cameras that would zoom in could even see somebody's pupils dilating and uh, unfortunately it sounds sci-fi but how 2020 has been um, we're wondering if this will actually be the case recommend that for the uh, those two books for some festive reading what, what about uh, Chris what, what about uh, Christmas films have you got a go-to Christmas film one would have to go with Home Alone hey so innocent, so lovely. And so topical. <laughs> it's so topical, indeed. Home Alone. Okay. Not Home Alone 2. Home Alone, the original. <laughs> well, look, Chris, you've, you've really inspired me to start making use of my Audible subscription. And um, let's go into 2021 with some cautious optimism. Um, we do need some encouragement I think there's still a lot of work to be done before we emerge into a more normal world. But I think Skimp and Snug will continue to help people to try and find the tools that will be most helpful and to encourage each other and to share the knowledge and experience with everyone who's willing to join us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year 2021 when it comes. So, as we come to the end of a year, which, well, it's had people looking up the meaning of the word dystopian, let's try and end the year on a positive note. Things will get better. We will cope, and we will meet our friends and relatives again in normal circumstances. But as Chris said, remember, we are in the middle of a marathon. A very happy Christmas and New Year to you all, and thanks again for joining us. Again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll 
Dark clouds 